to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. I'm your host, Shelby Dillman, and I'm excited to nerd out a little bit (laughs) on some winter predator tips. I grew up in rural northwestern Alberta, Fairview area, so I spent a lot of time out in the bush, and I still love being out in nature. Always had a lifelong fascination with wildlife up here. My dad used to work for Canfor back in the day and do some logging. So it was always an adventure when us kids got to go out to the bush with him for the day and we're always looking forward to seeing some sort of animals out there. Depending on where you live, especially come calving season, it could be a stressful and frustrating time with livestock losses. I'm looking forward to sharing some predator facts to help maybe provide some closure and help determine a culprit when filling out maybe a compensation form or just trying to get to the bottom of what happened here, what kind of predators are in my area, and how can I deal with this. Maybe in the spring I might do some sort of like a silent killer episode, like toxic plants. So funny side story, when I worked at the St. Paul Community Pasture, so that's about an hour east of Edmonton, and so St. Paul's thing is like like their visitor attraction is like this UFO alien landing pad. So they're kind of famous for that. And so my boss is telling me that bulls in this one particular pasture would always be dying. And so like joke around with aliens and like some people that really weirds them out. <laughs> and they have these like very strange damage characteristics. And turns out I think it was like water hemlock or something and not aliens. Allegedly. Anyways, <laughs> back on track. <laughs> so the other week we had an event at the Eureka River Hall and our local Fish and Wildlife officer came out to give a brief chat about what to do and who to contact about um, livestock kills and mentioned a few interesting tidbits of info that I looked into further for today's episode. The Alberta government website has some really amazing information and resources, so that's where I pulled some of this info from things on like the different programs and stuff like that, so it'd be really worthwhile to Google that and I'll kind of highlight some names of these programs that you can Google if you want to find more information. So I'll go over some things that he had shared with us and kind of elaborate a bit more afterwards. So say there was like a bear kill and he said to be sure to take photos for evidence. There are some compensation programs for both trappers and livestock losses caused by some predators. It's best that you call your local fish and wildlife detachment or better yet have the local officers contact information on your phone. He had mentioned that there is a trapper's compensation program in place for licensed trappers and they're looking for trappers to enroll in our region or in this area, Fairview in particular. Um, This can help control dense population of say like wolf problems. So there are some stipulations and it's 100% best to talk to him or the wildlife officers or detachment directly for more information. I'm just kind of condensing things. He also mentioned that there was something called a damage control license or DCL and what that is is like a program to deal with certain species of wildlife that are causing uh, damage to property or posing a threat to human safety. I remember several years ago there was a bear causing some disruption um, just a couple miles away in an elderly neighbor's farmyard and that just wouldn't go away so it'd be something like that. 
Um, so something to control wildlife that's causing or will cause personal property damage or threat to human health and safety. There's even a migratory bird damage permit. So things along the line of like goose cannons or removal of ducks and geese who are severely damaging crops. I highly suggest you look at um, the Alberta Wildlife website or Google it or call in and to get more information on these damage control licenses. I believe he said there was a DCL in place up in our area and it was used previously before or some sort of compensation program and it's ready to go and they've been used in the past. He said the community pastor out in Bear Canyon had some grief and they launched this program and it took 15 to 20 losses a year down to zero losses. It was very successful. So to learn more about that, you can contact the local fish and wildlife sergeant in Fairview and tell him you'd like to maybe learn more info on his presentation or maybe mention that you heard this through his seminar at the Eureka River Hall with the PCBFA and he could definitely help point you in the right direction. He had mentioned that there was something really interesting. So eventually packs of wolves or coyotes, I'm just going to refer to coyotes for now, because I've actually had experience with this on our farm growing up. I remember this ever since I was a kid. So believe it or not, they'll learn boundaries. And if you keep a local pack of coyotes around, this prevents new pack growth. And the current packs will learn boundaries of where they can and can't be. Where new packs, if they move in after, say, a local pack was thinned out or completely taken out, so these newcomers... They're going to come and wreak havoc because they don't know where they can and can't coexist at a distance or where they'll, where they'll be run off or taken down. So I remember as a kid, we moved out west of Fairview and coyotes would come up on our front porch and our back deck and we had this female German Shepherd dog and that's the first problem. <laughs> those buggers, they'll lure your dogs. Like We've lost dogs getting hit on the road because uh, those coyotes, they'll lure your dogs and they'll fight them and all that bad stuff. But yeah, so these coyotes, so over the past like several years, they eventually learned their boundaries and where they can come up and where they can't come up. And we had like bigger dogs, like we used to have Akitas and German Shepherds and that helped a lot for sure, but it was kind of interesting. Um, so my stock dogs, I keep them kenneled up in a pen and I'll, I'll hear snap, she'll go off sometimes at night, but those coyotes, they won't come into the yard anymore. So that's kind of nice. Um, it took years for them to learn boundaries. And we have to take some out once in a while. It happens. But lately they've been pretty respectful. Even though um, I've got an addition of sheep. I was kind of worried about that. But so far so good. So at the seminar in Eureka River we had a producer share something funny. About how he manages predators on his mixed farm. And everyone got a good laugh. So coined... The term the electric chicken <laughs> he would get a chicken carcass and I can't remember exactly how he did it but he like rigged it up to an electric fencer and he set it out in a clearing and a predator or maybe the neighbor's dog or what have you would come up and try and grab this chicken and they get zapped <laughs> and it's been effective and sometimes you'll see this like um like beekeepers when they have hives out in fields they'll put electric fence or electric mesh around the bee boxes and the hives to try and keep like bears out and my friends over at Seattle Farms in Grimshaw they use the same method 
with uh, their meat rabbits and their poultry hutches, and it's been really it's been really successful for them and it performed really well so that's kind of neat i know um is it gallagher i believe they'll make almost like a hog fence and it's like an electric netting like almost like a page wire kind of deal and it's it's kind of neat stuff so you might be able to utilize that for something along the lines of the electric chicken <laughs> or to keep critters out where they're not supposed to be <laughs> So this next point, it's not terribly common, but it's very important to know. And I've heard of cases like this and seen posts on Facebook. Um, there's actually an application called a shot livestock compensation application. So if your livestock gets shot, whether it's by mistake or not by someone, there is a resource to help you out there. This covers domestic cows, goats, sheep, swine, bison, and horses, those are eligible. There are some programs that do not cover horses, donkeys, llamas, alpacas, and exotics. So like I said, it's best to go on the government website and kind of see what they cover and how to go about that. But I'm just going to quickly click on here to give you a little bit more info on that shot livestock compensation deal. So the shot livestock compensation program provides compensation to producers whose livestock is shot by another person in a wildlife management unit, which is an open recreational season for hunting of big game or birds. And there's some funding to help you um, cover maybe like vet exams to examine a dead or an injured animal. Um, RCMP will be involved just in case there are criminal offenses. Um, there are charges that can be laid to stuff like that. Um, I know this happens once in a blue moon. So if evidence confirms that the livestock was shot, the investigating RCMP officer will file the compensation claim on behalf of the producer. And it covers, yeah, like the cattle, goats and stuff like that. Yeah, and that just kind of goes through like the fines. And if the livestock is insured, the producer should pursue compensation through their insurance coverage. Um, there might be a deductible that may be eligible, so there's that. So I really suggest if you Google shot livestock compensation program in Alberta, it'll come up with everything you need to know. So I thought that was really neat. I'm going to switch gears now and give you an idea about the wildlife predator compensation program and some critter attack facts. <laughs> this is where I get to nerd out. Um, I've seen things like this. Um, when I was out cowboying, especially on Leaseland, like out in the mountains, out by Rocky, and we've had some weird mystery cases, like calves come coming in with some damage, and there was one calf, and we honestly, we had no idea how it happened, because it didn't really fall into any of these categories, but I'll kind of give you some information on this program, and then I'll also read a bit on their page. So producers may qualify for... Um, compensation attacks by larger predators, except like coyotes, so bears, wolves, cougars, and even eagles, that was listed on there, and only open to cattle, buffalo, sheep, hogs, and goats, so no horses, exotics, or other fun little critters like that. Um, vet fees and meds, they can be compensated up to the value of the injured animal. So when this happens, you'll have to consult with a fish and wildlife officer and make sure you report it within three days. And it's super critical to preserve any evidence and take photos and don't disturb the area. So it'll also be a good idea if you maybe tarped something, um, you could skin it out to look for puncture marks or any other kind of evidence. 
So on the Alberta government page for the Wildlife Predator Compensation Program, it gives you a little bit of an overview and it's got a nice chart. And so on the one side it says uh, compensation is paid only for, compensation is not paid for. So incidents of feeding on livestock that have already died of disease or other causes not related to predation, that is something not eligible. Attacks of other types of predators such as coyotes, that's not eligible. And the other animals that were not on the list, such as horses, donkeys, or exotics, such as llamas, alpacas, or wild boar, they are not paid for. So it's just kind of like your regular, your regular farm animals. Um, so yeah, you want to contact your fish and wildlife officer as soon as you can to try to recover as much evidence as possible. That'll make this run a lot smoother and give you a better idea of what happened and who did it. Um, so the wildlife officer will come and examine the livestock and evidence from the area to confirm whether it's a predator kill or an injury or what happened. So they kind of do a little bit of an autopsy on that. So that's kind of interesting. If the evidence confirms that predators killed the livestock or that a predator kill was likely, the officer will file a claim on the behalf of the producer. So they kind of help you through all that paperwork. So that's kind of nice. They know how to dot their I's and cross their T's. So for all livestock, compensation is based on the average commercial value of the type of the animal, the class, and the day it was killed. If the livestock killed as cattle, of less than one year of age, the producer has the following options. The producer has a choice to accept the compensation at the time of loss, or they can wait till the end of October and receive compensation based on the Canfax average for the month of October, based on an average weight of 550 pounds. The minimum payment on a confirmed kill is $400. And it's important to know, so it says, how to know if livestock was attacked when it was alive. So I'll kind of touch on this in a little bit here and we'll kind of go through like if it was attacked by a wolf or a bear or a cougar and what to look for and um, some of the clues on that. So yeah, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> so I found this really cool PDF online. If you Google rancher's guide to predatory attacks on livestock, um, a link will pop up through the Alberta government and it's got a really cool PDF and it's got great information where I pulled some of this information from as well and um, it's got good pictures. Be wary, <laughs> there are graphic images so if you don't do well with that um, just keep that in mind but it would be a very um, good resource to take a look at. It's really interesting. So common attack zones, so for a wolf, and I've seen this before, um, the tail, hindquarters, or groin, flank, the armpit area, or like so behind and under the front leg. Bears will go for the withers, spine, neck, and skull. Cougars will generally go for the neck, throat, and skull. And coyotes, they kind of follow suit to wolf, so tail, hindquarters, flank, armpit, but also along the neck and spine. So here's some neat canine tooth spacings and puncture diameter fun facts. <laughs> this will also definitely help you determine what has caused the damage or the kill and because you might know like cougars they're super sneaky elusive little beings and you may not realize you have a cougar in your backyard and if these measurements par up to what I'm about to tell you you might want to <laughs> keep that in mind. So wolf um, canine tooth spacings, they're an inch and a half to two inches and their puncture diameter is about a quarter inch. 
So of course these are all averages. Um, a Grizz, two to three inch long canine tooth, like the spacings. Puncture diameter is about a quarter. Black bears have an inch and a half to two and a half inch by a quarter diameter. Cougars are an inch and a half to two and a quarter by one quarter diameter. And coyotes, they're an inch to an inch and three eighths with a puncture diameter of an eighth of an inch. So bear attack characteristics, we'll get started on that. Um, Cause they're pretty like bears and grizz. I know grizz, they do have some specific ways of doing things, but I'm just gonna kinda go through these little little pointers. So bears, they'll ambush their prey. And honestly, they don't usually put too much effort into it. And they don't really wanna go over a long distance to chase something down, but they will drag off their prey somewhere to eat it. And I know grizzly, they'll, sometimes they'll tend to bury their kills. I know big cats, sometimes they'll do that too. Um, the attacks and damage are from the top. So that's where most likely you'll find claws and teeth marks evident. And this is really weird and I did not know this. So bears will eat out the stomach contents or the rumen where cougars and wolves generally will not. So that's really interesting. So keep that in mind if you're investigating on, um, on any deceased livestock. Uh, crushed facial structures, skinned hides, and I've seen that before. Um, spine punctures from teeth to immobilize. And they'll mostly prey on like calves, but grizzlies, they will definitely take down full-size animals. And with wolf attacks, so we kind of see this out in nature, even like hunting and stuff like that. Or if you see videos and documentaries, their prey is weakened by getting them run down and by blood loss. So damage is often done to the hind end of an animal. And there's usually a stripped tail, damage done to the elbow, the armpits. Larger or older animals can have facial bites. So almost like how a dog will kind of try to nose a cow. So usually it's damage on the backs of calves. That's the most common thing. And uh, hemorrhaging under the skin and the inner tissue. So when you go to skin them out to kind of see, you'll see how everything's kind of pooled and there's more brighter, if it's really fresh, brighter colors. Um, around the damaged areas. Uh, older hides may have a black or purple staining from hemorrhaging. So if you don't go out for a couple days and you come across this critter, and you're like, ooh, this looks weird, and you skin it out, and it's almost like a blacky purple kind of color, like almost like a bruising. So that's from hemorrhaging too. And they've got some broader tooth lacerations, so they kind of look like a slash, and not like as much of a clean, like a razor blade clean or a knife knife slash so it's gonna be kind of more of like a a broader rip almost so cougar attack characteristics these things like they make the hair on the back of my neck stand up i've only seen them a handful of times and they make me nervous <laughs> you hear horror stories about guys like on the oil field leases and stuff and cougars getting people it's it's pretty scary um, so as we know, kind of like house cats, they'll stalk and then rush up from a short distance. You know how house cats are kind of lazy? Well, these big house cats <laughs> kind of on the same wavelength. Um, so they'll kind of rush up at a short distance and get them. Or I've heard of them coming down on y'all out of trees and stuff like that. Not, not quite often, but um, I've got some friends down south that do um, those hunt and hound 
uh, competitions and I've got some friends that use hounds to get rid of cats onto tree cats so they can be removed of properly. So mostly they'll rush you and that's about it. They, they're kind of a low effort <laughs> kind of creature. Um, kind of like bears so they won't really chase anything down too far but they will drag it off to eat it. Usually these kills are by biting the head and the neck to crush the bones or a bite to the throat to crush the windpipe. Um, minimal readjustment to maintain a kill so you know how like a, a mouse or a, a cat will jump on a mouse and they won't really fight it too bad so there might only be one or two initial areas of laceration or puncture in a close proximity whereas if there's something like really fighting or like fighting like wolves hunting packs and stuff like that they might be fighting there might be some points of damage in some multiple areas where cats is usually pretty usually pretty quick and painless <laughs> this is turning into kind of a gruesome episode i'm so sorry but i'm so fascinated <laughs> Um, so claw marks, they might not show up, like not on all of the paw pads, they will show up as lacerations, like extremely clean, like a razor blade or a knife. Um, I know of some horses that have been jumped by cougars and it's kind of, it's tough. They're really tough to pinpoint because sometimes it will look like a barbed wire laceration. It's funny. It's kind of, it's hard to say. But usually when like a cougar goes through a pen or something like animals, like livestock, they are shook up. But uh, yeah, so keep that in mind. They will be kind of like a swipe mark, but not all, all five claws may be visible. Um, they typically go for smaller animals like sheep and goats, but there are many cases of them going after horses and alpacas. They'll tend to eat the heart, lungs, and liver first. So keep that in mind when you're going out there to do your... Um, little autopsy. If those three main organs are gone, it's probably a cat. And remember, if the stomach is gone, it's probably a bear. And this is kind of neat. I thought this was interesting. They'll pluck the tufts of hair or the wool away off the hide. And I know like cats, they kind of do that too. If house cats and they catch like a squirrel or, squirrel or something. And so they'll, they'll chew on the tissue instead of tearing at it. So if there's little tufts of hair laying around this critter that's probably a cat. <laughs> and coyote attack characteristics, they're a similar manner to coyotes and wolves, or sorry, cougars and wolves. They'll often hunt individually, but also in packs. Um, they'll attack from the rear, but they might suffocate their prey by crushing the windpipe like cougars do. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, mostly smaller or younger animals as prey. There may be multiple laceration and punctures during an attack. So for a mobilization, like I was talking about the cats um, previously, quick and painless, while um, coyotes, because they are a smaller animal, it might might be a bit more uh, of a workout <laughs> for them to get to their end goal. <laughs> um, and then smaller, narrower tooth puncture marks versus, say, wolves. So... I would really suggest to check out that Rancher's Guide to Predatory Attacks on Livestock. They have a lot of great information on that PDF, a lot of good articles out there. I could read it all day, lots of really cool stuff, and I probably will on my own time. I'll look into that because that's always interesting and it's very valuable information if you do come across something out in your pasture or on your lease or whatever. So yeah, I hope this was super helpful. 
because the winter usually that's when things start to kind of go missing <laughs> calving season is going to be here not too far away too so i hope that helps you out with your predator management and gives you some more information on some of the programs and things that like the resources that you can utilize to maybe recover some costs or really important things to look out for so that wraps up my little talk about winter predators honestly they're all year-round predators <laughs> um, you could you could use this all year round because it happens and that's just the fact of life part of having animals especially in rural areas uh, especially in northwestern Alberta and the peace country so yeah I hope you enjoyed that and our next episode we're gonna touch base on hours of operation we've got the holidays coming up so Elena is gonna pop in on my next episode and we're gonna kind of give you a rundown maybe some highlights into the new year so yeah we'll get that sorted out and I'll post that one next week before we leave for Christmas and then back in the new year we're gonna be having a new season and some new episodes and some more new ideas so yeah I hope that was an informative interesting episode for today and I look forward to talking to you again soon <laughs> Take care.